sports stadiums and large public venues come in all shapes and sizes. Some have domes, some have natural grass fields, some have banked concrete ovals where cars drive fast. While no two stadiums may be perfectly alike, there's one thing that all stadiums today have in common, a reliance on technology. This is the Stadium Tech Report podcast, where we talk to people on both ends of the stadium technology equation, including the stadium technology teams who deploy it and use it, and the vendors and service providers who supply it. I'm Paul Kapuska, editor of the Stadium Tech Report and your host on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. Does your venue need a high-capacity, reliable network to provide a better fan experience? Did you know that Matsing's innovative lens antennas provide the highest capacity connectivity in stadiums and arenas globally, with only a few antennas needed to cover entire venues? Contact Matsing at matsing.com to discuss your venue's advanced connectivity needs. JMA is a leading provider of distributed antenna systems in hundreds of stadiums worldwide, delivering the best performance, highest reliability, and lowest total cost of ownership. Our platform ensures that you're 5G ready when it comes time to add a private wireless 5G network to your existing venue infrastructure without a rip and replace, providing a foundation of wireless connectivity to improve the fan experience while reducing operating costs for stadium owners and broadcasters. Visit jmawireless.com app to explore more. If you're a stadium technology professional, there may be no bigger change than to move from working at a baseball stadium to a busy indoor arena. Inside, multiple different events mean a much different menu of challenges than a steady diet of baseball games. Listen in as we talk to Andrew McIntyre, Senior Vice President of Technology and Innovation at Vinick Sports Group, about his move from Wrigley Field to Emily Arena and how being a lifelong learner an always interested innovator keeps his job fun and exciting in a new and different place. Next on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. Welcome to the Stadium Tech Report podcast. We are joined today by an old friend, good friend, maybe he's not that old, uh, Senior Vice President for Technology and Innovation at Vinick Sports Group, Andrew McIntyre. Andrew, thanks for joining the show. Paul, great to see you and uh, thanks for having me. You bet. Um, so I'd like to start things off with an opening question before we talk about anything else. And, and this one is, can you talk about the vision for using technology to improve the fan experience and the business case at Emily Arena and throughout the Vinic organization? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. I think a lot of people uh, focus on this within their clubs and within the leagues. But, you know, for us, uh, I think technology and, and how it relates to really driving a great fan experience is all about making their experience as seamless and as easy and as enjoyable as possible. And I think a lot of the times people think about it as it needs to start all the way back at your home, Uh, whether you're on your phone or on your laptop and really how are you first engaging with us, whether that's through any of our communication channels, making people aware of opportunities to come to the arena for whether it's hockey games or concerts or other events. But then as soon as that purchasing mindset has, has been kind of implemented and you've decided to make that move to, to move forward, it's your purchasing experience. And then it's getting into all the logistics of coming to the arena, all the surrounding experiences you're going to have the arena for the event, 
obviously everything that you experience during the event and then of course then after the event. And so what we try to do as much as we can is is identify where there's friction points and, and ways that we can make that experience better. And I think it's it's a, a never ending quest to improve the experience. I think technology can do a lot of things to improve. Sometimes it's not only technology, it could just be things like process changes or slight other variations that we can do that we'll kind of pull into that what we'll call innovation because it might be new for us or new for our fan base. But there is a nice blend of, of just making changes to make things better. At the same time, you know, when we're looking out for that fan and that uh, side of our business, we're also looking at our own operations. And so how do we run the building more efficiently? How do we put on our events more efficiently? How do we engage everyone more efficiently? And through that efficiency, we think we can drive costs out of the organization. And then hopefully uh, through some of that, we can also identify and we can also take advantage of new business opportunities. So things that maybe we had not seen in the past that will help us drive some revenue. And obviously everything is a flywheel. So the more revenue you generate, you can reinvest that back into the business, either driving efficiencies in your operations, or you can uh, look at adding more experiences to the fan base to just continue to improve their overall, make their, make their lives and, and, and make them want to keep coming back to the arena. You know, that's a really great intro, but I'd like to back up a little bit and you have you talk a little bit just about your overall experience. What was it like to work at a historical icon at Wrigley Field? What's it been like moving down to Tampa? And do teams actually pay for you to come so that they can win championships? <laughs> uh, that's great, Paul. I'll address the last thing later. Yeah, I, I think I've been very fortunate in my uh, my career in sports so far. And, you know, I, obviously I always look for opportunities that have really great owners. And I think then the culture and the entire mindset of the organization kind of follows that owner and um, and down to the ranks. And, and again, I, I think I've been lucky in the fact that that has rubbed off into championships. So yes, that's uh, it's been fun. I don't know if I get hired for that, but it is a nice little nugget to have in my back pocket. So coming from Wrigley and coming from the Cubs, to me, this was my first stint in sports. I had an unbelievable opportunity to join the organization at a time of great transformation. You know, the new owners came in and they wanted to invest to be both the best on the field as well as off the field. And and that went through every aspect of, of the organization. So building new facilities to be state of the art for a training academy in the Dominican Republic and the spring training facility in Mesa, Arizona, and then the restoration of the field, but also into the, the business operations and, and all these solutions and systems that we built to really power and, and drive efficiency. And, and I won't go into too many details there, but there's some fun war stories over, over a pint that we could share uh, on some of those. Um, but I think that the key, you know, the key aspect of coming out of the Cubs is that the ownership was willing to invest. They wanted to win. And they wanted to do what's right for the community. And all of those efforts led to, you know, uh, turning the organization around, making it both a winner on the business side, but also a winner on the field. There's a lot of similarities to what is happening here in Tampa and specifically, you know, Jeff Vinnick and, and what he's done for Tampa Bay, uh, the community for the, uh, the, uh, the team itself and really kind of around the arena when it comes to Water Street development. But you, you have that ownership top down approach of a great ownership looking to win on the ice as well as off the ice, um, investing into its people, investing into its facilities, investing in the community. And then that is then leading to, you know, success. And, um, so it's been, it's been really exciting to be a part of it on the, 
you know, one of the things that's really fun for me and I'm a lifelong learner is really understanding the nuances of our businesses. Obviously, sports, the revenue lines are very similar. There's different, you know, extents of, okay, what is the broadcast revenue is going to be different between the leagues or what is ticketing happening? And I'll call it the, the heartbeat of the league and how it kind of flows throughout the season. Those are different, but it's been fun. You know, the, the ballpark and, and working in baseball, obviously the centerpiece is all the baseball games. And with a sprinkling of other uh, activities and events that you have at Wrigley, we've had some amazing concerts there, but you're usually getting like a, a handful of them, but not consistent. Coming down to Tampa, there's a lot more concerts and events than there is hockey games. So <laughs> you're really kind of switching the gears a little bit in that you're becoming this multi, multi-event uh, purpose building and the challenges and the, the opportunities are, are very different. And I look back to some of my, uh, my colleagues and people I've built relationships with, and I don't think I ever really fully understood it until now I've walked uh, in their shoes. But Katie used to tell me their stories at Madison Square Garden. Yes, that would be our friend Katie Lapoff. Yes. Who is now a senior vice president with the Oakview Group. And congratulations to her. She used to tell me their stories at Madison Square Garden. And I was always scratching my head like, I, I just can't quite connect to it. Well, I feel like now I can connect to it. Maybe not to the extent of Madison Square Garden, but we're pretty close. And again, so we're having, you know, 40 plus hockey games, fortunate enough to host the Toronto Raptors during COVID. So we had, you know, 40 plus basketball games in the season. And then we do somewhere between 80 to 90 other events. So you're talking about wow. in the house, you know, every third day is another type of event. And so it's just, it's really exciting to be a part of that, but it's just such a different challenge in, in how you build your teams, how you build your infrastructure and, and how you execute. A lot of similarities, but there's some pretty good differences. Too. Coming up, we discuss the innovative deployment of Matt Singh lens antennas at Emily Arena and how it improves the fan experience. More with Andrew McIntyre after the break. JMA is a leading provider of distributed antenna systems in hundreds of stadiums worldwide, delivering the best performance, highest reliability, and lowest total cost of ownership. Our platform ensures that you're 5G ready when it comes time to add a private wireless 5G network to your existing venue infrastructure without a rip and replace, providing a foundation of wireless connectivity to improve the fan experience while reducing operating costs for stadium owners and broadcasters. Visit jmawireless.com app to explore more. I do know there was, you know, for tech people, like for sports people, they think Emily Arena, they think, wow, you know, the lightning, you know, championships, that. But for tech people, Emily became sort of a, a topic of conversation when it went all in on the Matsing antenna deployments. Can you just drill down for a little bit on this and talk about, you know, what you learned about why that decision was made? And uh, you know, were you surprised by the performance? I mean, it was it was really the first time, I think, that any arena had gone in with, I would say, more than just a, a few of the antennas. Yeah, well, you know, first off, I have to give credit where credit's due. And specifically, that's to my predecessor, Sean Walker. He's now over at the Phillies and doing an outstanding job for them. Um, but Sean and his relationships with counterparts down here with the cellular carrier that is our neutral host provider, they he really went to bat with them on driving a level of performance that he had not seen or experienced in his his time in the league and other leagues to really set up this building for success in the future. And so, you know, Matt Singh at that time was, I would say, on the 
bleeding edge, cutting edge, if you will, of, of really changing um, cellular antennas and their, their value. And they were obviously making a lot of progress in major events like Lollapalooza in Chicago or, or Coachella, but you really hadn't seen them have that impact in, in venues yet. And so, you know, I really give a lot of credit to Sean because, you know, it's really impressive for him to be like, I've seen this technology, I've experienced it, I know what it can do. And we have a venue that it, it can really perform uh, well in and almost perfectly suited for. I would say, you know, it can, and I think it has been done in, in ballparks, but it just seems like it's an, it's an unbelievably natural fit inside of an arena and a inside indoor <laughs> facility and specifically that you can hide the antennas in the roof. Right. And, and use them and keep them away from the fan base. And so, you know, for me, it's been great to inherit that decision and, and reap the benefits of it. Um, and specifically the benefits are just outstanding coverage and outstanding capacity, um, throughout the entire arena. And again, very blessed to have that. I, I can say that philosophically speaking, Sean and I are very much aligned in the sense that providing great cellular coverage. And being able to support all the carriers with a neutral host DAS uh, is really, really critical to be able to deliver a great fan experience. And so I'm very happy to, to have that type of infrastructure here that I've inherited. And then, you know, my job in the way that I've seen it is really to then complement that. So at the time, when Sean had laid down the, the, the framework and the roadmap, it was really my responsibility and, and my job to make sure that all the other carriers uh, we're incentivized to join the DAS. And uh, I know that can be a challenging negotiation, but um, we were successful in that. So we did, at the time, Sean had uh, AT&T and Sprint on the DAS, and I was able to make sure that Verizon and T-Mobile joined as well. Um, so that's, that's really been a powerful asset that we've had and, and can continue to utilize uh, for many years to come. And the Matsing relationship is great. Leo has just visited the arena not too long ago and had a great time catching up with him. And they're just great people. They make an unbelievable product. And, you know, I just wish them all the success in the world. And I know they continue to go on to bigger and bigger things. And you've seen them now becoming almost, a, in my view, the de facto standard inside of, uh, of arenas. And obviously they're making hay in, in football stadiums and, and ballparks as well. Looking back, it's, you know, I think, Emily was probably one of the first uh, you know, arenas that I can remember that really made use of its outdoor space. And I'm talking about, you know, the plaza area where fans would come, you know, when the game was being played somewhere else. But, it, you know, I haven't been there in a few years, but it, it seems like just transforming that into part of the arena experience has become commonplace now. But it seems like Emily was kind of a leader in that area. Can you talk about that a little bit about, you know, and I think this ties into your the starts at home, right? Yeah. And specifically, you're talking about our Ford Thunder Alley, which is yes, our Ford Thunder plaza. Alley. You know, one of the things that we've always identified is it's always great to have kind of a grand opening of the building. And so there's a major ceremony that occurs right before we open up the doors and let people come in. And so that's a great way for us to rile up the crowd, get people excited, engage them and, and kind of bring them all together. Um, the other thing that does is that, you know, now we, when we look at extending our borders, if you will, outside of the arena, now you can engage them. And we have a, a tap room that's across the way uh, of Fort Thunder Alley. And we have other ways of uh, um, activating sponsorships to engage them. During the playoffs, we'll have our broadcasters be actively out there as well, so they can engage the fan base. So 
it does become this very much a large commonplace of that pregame experience. And so, again, back to that, looking at the holistic thing is how quickly do you want to get to the arena? Well, are you just trying to get in the arena and get out? Or, hey, I want to go and experience the entire um, the day or the whole evening down there and really enjoy everything that downtown Tampa and Water Street has to offer. That, to me, is a page taken out of other sports and specifically like Wrigley. Like when you go to Wrigley for, you don't just go just for the game. You go for no. the day. You go for the whole experience. So to me, there's, you know, a great thing that has been started is that the concept of like, well, what can we do around the building before the actual event starts? And is there enough entertainment to bring people down early? So it's been exciting to see the hotels popping up around us. It's been exciting to see restaurants and bars and Water Street. And so it just to me, it's, it's all the, the theme of an entertainment district. It's not just I go to a building, I attend an event and I leave. It's now I'm coming to this district to spend, you know, maybe even the weekend, not just a, a night or just for a game. Um, but Fort Thunder Alley has always been, you know, since I've been here, a big part of what we've done. And, and even in, in the history that I've learned is since they've been making their playoff debuts and deep runs into the playoffs, having watch parties at Fort Thunder Alley and bringing the show, not just in the arena, but outside the arena has always been a key piece. And so even today you'll see people, um, they'll come to the arena or they're not going in the arena. They're just cutting their camp chairs and they're parking themselves outside in the arena to watch our, you know, our uh, laser projector project the game outside and, and engage the crowd base that way as well. Coming up. We discuss how Emily Arena extends its technology and event footprint outside the stadium walls and what that means for both fans and stadium staff. More with Andrew McIntyre after the break. This episode is also brought to you by Matsing. Does your venue need a high capacity, reliable network to provide a better fan experience? Did you know that Matsing's innovative lens antennas provide the highest capacity connectivity in stadiums and arenas globally, with only a few antennas needed to cover entire venues. Contact Matsing at matsing.com to discuss your venue's advanced connectivity needs. What does that mean for your sort of technology footprint? Like, how far do you guys now have to extend out from the arena walls? Are you providing Wi-Fi out there? Are you providing cellular out there? Have you changed? You were talking about processes, and I'm just curious, Like, have, have there been changes to where the security happens, where the ticketing happens uh, because of changes of technology in those spaces as well? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things on the connectivity side. Our, our Wi-Fi does span our, I would call it, outdoor spaces. So there's um, there's another smaller plaza on the northeast corner of, the, of, the, our, of our campus, which is right at the crossroads of Water Street. So we do some engagement there. There's some connectivity there. There's a couple of sponsor activations there. And there's some other spaces that our, our fans can enjoy. We also play, obviously, live music out there. Uh, and again, becomes a place for people to gather before they want to come in. But the big one, Fort Thunder Alley on the west side, yeah, connectivity. And then that tap room that is across the way yeah. is actually supported by us. So our network infrastructure, both wired and wireless, is extended into that. Over that network, we push our IPTV infrastructure. We have all of our audio feeds that are over there as well. Uh, we do some of our radio broadcast post game over in the tap room. So for me, it's, it's you know, we are going to extend to every border that we have. On the, on the tech front, um, interesting conversation. 
you know, this past season back in February, we implemented the uh, frictionless screening solution from Evolve. And okay. um, that was something that we were really excited to, uh, to bring to the arena. Uh, you know, we had identified that solution back in 2020, and we're actually about to go down that path back in those years. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we, we decided to, uh, to hold off on that a bit. And for good reason, we, um, for us, obviously, everything needs to be approved by the NHL before we can put it into use. Um, that approval did not occur until the off season before last season. And so then we were quick to move forward as quickly as we could to get that in place. So uh, very happy to do that. And, and that's a, that's a great program and a solution. We've seen that in other venues as well. And, uh, it really changed the, the dynamic of, you know, quite honestly, the, the flow of people into the building, obviously how you staff and, and manage security. And then the other underlying impacts that it has of getting more people into the building quicker with your F and B as well as your retail. And even like butts and chairs to start our show so that people can really enjoy the game presentation when our master of ceremonies kicks things off. Now to the border question, um, I think this is where when we move into the playoffs, you really start to see our show extend not just inside the arena, but really we formalize the watch parties outside in Fort Thunder Alley and we secure the entire uh, Fort Thunder Alley. So now that becomes a gated area to get into. And so- We, we currently do our screening effectively right before the doors. So there's a two-step process. There's the security screening through Evolve, and then there's our ticket scanning. Um, I still believe ticket scanning makes the most sense to be at the doors of the building. Um, but our security screening, we're debating about, do we extend that to the border? And really, as people are entering Fort Thunder Alley or any other part of the, of the campus, you know, we, we have those security screens going in. So that's something that we're debating about. And looking at, but as of right now, that's still uh, you know a little bit closer closer to entering the arena, not necessarily entering the entire campus. And then um, you'd mentioned them before, but maybe we could dive a little bit deeper into the mash gins and and how you see concession technology evolving as well, because it strikes me as you know we've seen probably more innovation in the concession space than in the entire history of, of stadiums in the last few years here, and you know all to the benefit of everyone. It seems to be a good fit both for fans and for the business. Yeah. So for us, you know, another really interesting lesson learned here comparing the two sports, you know, baseball, in my mind, is is a nice buildup of intensity. And as the, as the innings go by and as the game goes by, the intensity and the strategy and everything seems to increase. But along the way, it's it's kind of a nice leisurely walk in the park where I can go out and grab a hot dog and a beer at any inning. I can come back to my seats and catch some of the game. I can walk around the park. And so it's kind of a more of a slower kind of build, if you will. Uh, with hockey, we're, we're in these massive spikes of, of intense <laughs> on ice excitement. And then as soon as that is done, an immediate evacuation of all of the stands to the concourses, <laughs> grab your food and beer and restrooms as quick as you can, and then get back into, back into your seat. And so because of those spikes, for us, it's all about speed and efficiency of getting through those concession lines and anything else you're trying to get your hands on. So um, speed is such a huge factor in what we do, um, managing the crowds and, and ensuring that people can, can get those, those goods and services that they're looking for. And so a big piece of that is, is the F&B experience. And you know, for us, we've decided that uh, there's been a couple of key changes that we've made that we think are going to kind of push us down the path of providing a better experience. 
Uh, one is we, we implemented a new mobile application platform uh, this last upcoming season. Uh, great provider that I know is well known in the industry, uh, Yinscam, leveraging their mobile wallet and uh, allowing us to do a one scan transaction at both retail and our concessions. The other thing that we've done is pushed more towards evolving our concession stands to be, it's a self-checkout program, the Mastion program. So a lot of our open markets where you can come in and grab your beverage or, or your food, but you check out yourself. And so again, seeing some great success outside of sports, but also now in sports with, with these programs to really speed up. We are, you know, right now, I would say we're probably a step or two behind a lot of other clubs with what, how they've evolved their fan experience in F&B. And so we, we took a little bit of a slower approach, making sure that we had the platform in place. We had our discount program fully vetted and in place, which was a really critical piece to how we support our, our season ticket members, partners, and premier clients. And now we're starting to leverage that mobile wallet in, in a more, I would call it, efficient manner for delivering you know, services to them. So as I mentioned earlier, the mobile wallet that we have is integrated with our, uh, our point of sale for both our concessions and retail. So with one scan and not multiple scans, but within one scan, it will apply your discount. If you have payment values loaded up, whether that's credit card or a loaded value that we provided or someone else has provided, will allow you to transact all at once. And so when it really comes to the speed of getting through the lines, that is also very helpful. The mashings are great. I mean, obviously, a lot of people prefer to check themselves out. And with the quick auto scan of your items on the, on the tray, and then a quick scan of your barcode to pay for everything, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, almost a 10x speed in incremental increase in getting people to grab a, a beer and a sandwich and get through that line as quick as possible. We are now in the process of, of really chasing down two key areas um, with our F&B partner. And um, one of those is, you know, I think they already have coined the, the phrase for this technology, but it, it's really their brand, but like just walk out. And yeah. so whether it's Amazon or if it's Zippin and some of the other solution providers, but the key aspect there is, again, for us, it's speed. So we're going to be evaluating that to say if there's speed gains there, then we're going to look to add that. Um, no guarantees yet. We see Mastion is a, is a huge complement to what we're doing right now. And we see that expanding. But we do think that if the Just Walkout solutions can also add speed to our overall operations, then, then we will look you know, very deeply into adding those to the mix. The last thing on the mobile ordering, there's a couple of different pieces there. There's there's mobile order and obviously there's a quick pickup and then there's mobile order and in-seed delivery. In-seed delivery is really tough in hockey from my perspective because you have huge, huge. puck and play and rules around people walking up and down. The, you know That's why we don't have hawkers and stuff like that. So, so that one's a little tougher, but I think mobile ordering and quick pickup can be done and as long as you are set up for that. I, I think the uh, we visited the Pittsburgh Penguins and experienced their mobile order quick pickup, and it was it was awesome. I mean, it was really well done. Um, inspired us to kind of follow in their footsteps. So give them a lot of credit for that. It's interesting too watching some of this stuff get deployed, and, and watching the fans sort of learn how to use it as well. Right? There's a little bit of a learning curve all the way around. I, I've seen people going through the Evolve security gates and stopping and raising their hands and they've got their wallet and keys out. I mean, it, it, it takes a while for those learned behaviors to change, but it strikes me that, you know, you are way more involved with so many different touch points. Now, did you, you know, sort of maybe a finishing thing, did you ever think, you know, you would be involved in so many different aspects or is this just 
a natural progression of everything. You know, I, I think um, that's, a, that's a tough one. <laughs> I think sometimes you get thrown into these things and then other times you kind of seek them out. I think the, uh, the, the, the fun part of my title is technology and innovation. And normally when I explain what technology is, it, it can be very concrete of we do uh, infrastructure. Uh, we do um, IT infrastructure, we do technical production, we do software development. Like these are all like tried and true technology based things that people go, oh, okay, I get that. Let's go. And then you say, well, what's innovation? And I'm like, that is one of the most vague and unique terms that's out there. And I'm like, well, I can define that in probably a thousand different ways. But the way that I normally define it, at least here, is, is the, really the goal is to just get better. And anything that we can do to get better. So that could be cutting costs, that could be driving efficiencies, that could be driving productivity, that could be uh, you know, process reengineering, uh, that could be a new technology solution that's something that's opening up some new doors for us. But the innovation side really allows me to kind of look at our organization and look at trends and start to say is maybe we should be considering making moves in different ways. It also gives me a nice little way to say we need some R&D funds and we need to try and test some things. Um, and some are going to be successful and some will fail, but we need to have that mindset of that. That's okay to try new things and, and to learn from them and then keep on getting better. That to me is the fun part of the innovation side is, is there's always that little bit of uh, continuous learning as well as a little bit of testing, a little bit of R&D. And hopefully we're picking more winners and losers, but definitely it makes it a lot more exciting to, to get involved in so many different aspects. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank the sponsors of Stadium Tech Report, whose support enables us to continue our efforts to bring our objective, unbiased, and unpaid-for content to the Stadium technology marketplace. Our supporters include our co-producing sponsor, AmpThink, our survey sponsor, Verizon, our podcast title sponsors, Matsing and JMA, and our publication sponsors, which include Boingo, Mobility, Comscope, and American Tower. Stadium Tech Report podcast is brought to you by Stadium Tech Report, the go-to publication for stadium technology news, analysis, and commentary. Technical production for the Stadium Tech Report podcast is led by creative director Dan Grimsley and digital designer Jackie Wen. Web and design work is by David Farris and John David. All contents of the Stadium Tech Report podcast are copyright Stadium Tech Report. Audio video and print content may not be reused without the express written consent of Stadium Tech Report.